We're going to read um, God's Word now, and we're actually reading from the book of Matthew. Um, We've been working our way through the book of Matthew, and we are today up to uh, Matthew chapter 20, and we're going to be reading from verse 17 through to the end of the chapter, verse 34. So that's Matthew chapter 20, verse 17. Now, Jesus was going up to Jerusalem on the way... He took the twelve aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favour of him. What is it you want? he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. What was the last product that you bought and how long ago was that? I'm guessing it probably wasn't that long ago. Uh, Ours, after all, is a consumer society. Uh, We are purchasing goods and services at an ever-increasing rate. It just kind of, it is a, it's a characteristic of our life. And so we become pretty good at it, don't we? We get to know the features to look for. We become choosy about what we want. Uh, We know how to get the best bang for our buck. Uh, We're always... On the lookout for an upgrade, Uh, we become really good at this. 
Uh, during the week, the, uh, the phone of a member of our family was uh, just about dead. And so in the space of about 20 minutes, uh, a really good website was recommended by another member of the family and the model was chosen for his best needs. And then there was a, a, a discussion about that and um, he ordered it and it arrived a few days later. It, we are just pretty good at consuming And that's fine in one sense at the level of the product, Uh, but the risk in all of this is that our consumer attitudes uh, kind of seep across into other areas of life. In 2018, there was a survey done here in Australia, uh, and one of the interesting results that it found was that a quarter of 18 to 24-year-olds wanted to have the opportunity to upgrade their partner. Uh, what they wanted was marriages offered on a rolling basis, a little bit like a mobile phone contract. Uh, so, so that when your, your partner gets to the end of their term, uh, you decide whether to renew or to upgrade. And so we do away with the promise to love one another till death do us part. And so essentially the, the buying patterns are... Uh, 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 the the patterns of buying a product creep in to our relationships. And I'm not having a go at 18 to 24-year-olds, by the way. Uh, The first time I heard this actually was from an older bloke. It was sort of one of those philosophical conversations. It wasn't marriage counselling or anything like that. It was just one of those conversations. And he just said to me plainly, we upgrade, upgrade our car, why not upgrade our spouse? Now, just to say, his wife wasn't in the room at the time that he said that to me. I don't know how she would have felt about that. Uh, But that was where he landed on this deeply philosophical question. And the point is, uh, we can easily become consumeristic when it comes to our relationships, uh, can't we? Uh, It's all about getting the best value for your relational dollar. That's the consumerist mindset. And it's a mindset which, of course, is in stark contrast to the Christian mindset. Because a Christian mindset is less about consuming and more about serving. It's less about what I receive and more about what I give. And that's what we're going to see here in our passage for this morning. Okay, we've been working as a church through the book of Matthew together, and we're up to that section we just read, uh, Matthew 20, verses 17 through to 34, and we're looking at this today under four headings. And so we come firstly to the service of Jesus. Jesus came with a servant's attitude. His perspective was not about what he could get. We see this in verses 17 through to 19. We read there, now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem on his way, took the 12 aside and said to them, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles and to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Now, this is the third time that Jesus has explicitly told his disciples of his upcoming death and resurrection. Uh, it was there back in chapter 16, verse 21. It was there again in chapter 17, verses 22 and 23. And here, this prediction is even more detailed than before. Uh, we're told that Jesus will be um, condemned 
uh, th- there's going to be a judicial sentence. Uh, we're told that he'll be handed over to the Gentiles, to non-Jews. Uh, we're specifically told he'll be mocked, he'll be flogged, he'll be crucified. This is actually a really specific prediction. And what that indicates to us is that um, this is an important event for it to be prophesied in such detail. Jesus' death wasn't an accident. It wasn't kind of a sad end to a good man's life. No, Jesus' death was foretold because it had cosmic significance. And in fact, it was at the center of his mission. Indeed, it was the very reason why he came. Notice down in verse 28, we're told that the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, The reason he came was to give his life as a ransom for many. His purpose was to die a self-giving death. Notice it wasn't to be served, to be a consumer, but to give his life for others. I wonder if you've ever met someone with an incredible sense of purpose. Uh, On your screen, you'll have, in a moment, a picture of Andrew uh, Browning. Uh, Andrew Browning was um, brought up as a child in Sydney. And at the age of six in his church, he heard stories of countless women in Africa dying in labour. And it moved him. And from that moment, he decided he would pursue a medical career uh, to go to such countries to help such women. And it's what he's done. He's served for the past two decades in Tanzania and in Ethiopia, uh, training midwives and uh, building and running maternity hospitals and specialised clinics. And he is uh, now regarded as one of the most uh, foremost surgeons in that area of medicine. Uh, Browning had a clear sense of purpose for his life, and it was a purpose to serve. And Jesus likewise gave his life to serve. Only for Jesus, this was um, more about than simply the life he was going to live, but it was about the death he was going to die. And there was something unique about that death. Okay, we're told that Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, that description is just so very important because here Jesus clearly articulates what his death is going to accomplish. Okay, the word ransom there, it carries with it the idea of buying someone's freedom. You think of how we might use ransom today, uh, perhaps in a kidnapping, you, you pay a ransom to purchase that person's freedom. And uh, back in that culture, the, the ransom was what you would pay to set a slave or a prisoner free. It was the debt you paid to buy the slave's freedom. And uh, what this is saying is that uh, Jesus dies to buy the freedom of many. He dies for them. He pays the debt owed because of their sins so that they go free. Now, sometimes people don't like uh, this idea of Jesus as a sacrifice for us. You know, I mean, we, our minds go to human sacrifice, don't they? Uh, There are ancient religions that have done that, which of course is terrible. But see, the difference with Christianity is that in Jesus... The one who is the sacrifice 
is God himself. It's God who comes to us in Jesus saying, I have a purpose in being here. It's to be a sacrifice for you. Your rebellion is worthy of death, but I will bear that for you. See, in Christianity, it's the one who is in charge. It's the one who had the right to be served, choosing to serve. He he doesn't farm the serving out to others, meanwhile sitting on his lazy boy throne. Uh, No, the one who has a right to be served chooses to serve. And he serves by giving his very life that others may go free. That's what you have in Christianity, and it's utterly unique. And so here is what we have in Jesus, a God who serves. And you know, if you want forgiveness for your sin, if you want peace with God and all that comes from that, I want to reassure you that you're not going to have to sweat your way into God's kingdom. It's not about working hard to get into God's kingdom. That's not how we find peace with God. But in fact, he is the one who served us by going to the cross. And so we just need to trust him and what he does for us. He pays the price. This is the service of Jesus. Now, in contrast to that, what we have next is the consumerism of the disciples. Okay, that's there in verses 20 through to 23. And I mentioned the disciples here because uh, we're told in the Gospel of Mark that um, the disciples, uh, James and John, are actually in on this plan, okay? James and John, they are the sons of Zebedee that are mentioned in verse 20. And um, their their mum comes to Jesus and asks for a favour, which is a sneaky way of doing it, isn't it? And maybe you've done this before too. Ask for a favour before you tell them what it is. Well, um, this is what they try on with Jesus. But Jesus is wise to it and he he says, well, um, what is it that you would like for me to do? And then mum passes on this very modest request in verse 20. And Jesus, in your kingdom, please let one of my sons be on your left and the other on your right, which is a way of saying um, nothing much, Jesus, just let my boys be number two and three in your kingdom. Now, this is very impressive helicopter parenting, isn't it? Uh, But as I say, James and John are actually in on this. And so what you have, of course, is a very self-interested request. Uh, It's very much about what I get. In a sense, you could say it's consumerism at its best. My son doesn't want much. Just let him be your two I see. And you know, a danger for us in our relationship with Jesus is to kind of treat him like a cosmic shopkeeper, isn't it? Uh, The danger is that we don't bow before Jesus as king, Uh, amazed that he would spare me, a rebel, from the punishment that I deserve, but that rather we kick our heels up on the couch with our iPad ready to do our internet shopping, saying, Jesus, there's a few things that I need. Uh, The kids, always nagging. Um, My pay packet, another 10 grand would be good. Uh, There's my back. I did mention to you just a month ago that that needed fixing. Come on, Jesus. Some of my friends, they're really not putting in enough effort. 
Now, of course, I'm exaggerating the point, but I'm just saying we want to be careful of the sort of the frame of mind in which we come to Jesus, that there isn't a low level of resentment when our expectations of God aren't met. As if, in fact, the customer service wasn't quite up to scratch. And I'll give you a sad face on your feedback form. No, that's not our relationship with God. He's the king. And absolutely, we come to God as children, ready to freely ask from him, knowing that he loves us, knowing that he cares for us, knowing that he wants our good. But because we know that he is God, we also know that he knows what's best and that our relationship to him is one of servant to master, child to father, not customer to shopkeeper. So there's a humility of spirit that we must have if we're going to avoid this frame of mind of the disciples. Well, then that's what we are to avoid. But what then are we called to? Well, we see Jesus' instructions to the disciples here in verses 24 through to 28. And there we're told that, okay, the other 10 disciples are actually upset with James and John. Probably what they're upset about is that James and John got in before them. And so Jesus calls them all together and he corrects their thinking in verse 25. He says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says there that though greatness in the world is about lording it over others, yet that's not the way of Jesus For in fact, true greatness is in serving. Remember, Jesus came to serve, not to be served, and so it must be for his followers. Okay, I mentioned earlier Andrew Browning and his life devoted to helping uh, women in Tanzania and in Ethiopia. And that devotion was not by accident. Again, I mentioned earlier his, his memory of that time when he was six. But okay, in an, in an interview, he also talks of a time when he was 14 uh, and, and he went to a youth rally in a church in a tiny town in the southern highlands of Sydney. He says in that interview, I heard the news that God came as a person in the form of Jesus Christ. And he died and rose again to defeat death and give you hope of knowing God, your creator. And that just filled me with absolute joy. It transformed the way I think. And he, Jesus, gives me strength to live now a life of love and a life of service, having transformed my life. So that's where he draws his strength from, from the one who lovingly served him. And now he wants to serve others. Okay, as I've been saying this morning, there is something about consumerism we want to be careful of. And it's the mindset that comes with with it of being served. Okay, as we consume, we consume goods and services, don't we? Our frame is how other things or people provide a service to me. 
So we want to be careful that it, that frame doesn't creep into other areas of our life. Our, you know, our, our, our marriages, our families, our churches, they're only going to be healthy as we see them first as places to serve rather than to be served. If our orientation firstly is what do I get out of this, it's not going to be healthy. So we want our marriages to be self-giving. It's not a good idea to compare your spouse to others and wonder if you got the best product. It's just never a good idea. Uh, Rather, look to the needs of your spouse. How can you help them flourish in who they are? Again, in families, dad and mum, you need to be ready to make sacrifices for your kids, don't you? It might be time, it might be money, it might be career. There's got to be sacrifice. And for the teenage kids here, just to say, you need to look out for your parents, for other family members, pull your weight, help with household chores, think of how you can contribute. Then there's how we relate in church. Okay, just to say, in church, don't make your greatest focus how your needs can be met. Music that suits me, programs that suit me. There will always be something that can be better, but think more of who could I have a special role in looking out for them? What are the ways that I could be serving here? Now, of course, in marriages, families, churches, it's absolutely right and good to bring up our needs as well. Uh, That's good. That's healthy in any relationship. And there should be healthy channels of communication in every marriage, every family, every church. There should be that if that um, thing is going to be Um, helpful and healthy, but we're just talking here about the overall mindset, a mindset of service. And can I say here too that this mindset is something, okay, it's especially important in any kind of leadership. Um, Jesus here says that greatness is in serving. That's real leadership. Uh, Sometimes in a sense we think of leaders as those with many servants, but actually, um, the, the, the best leaders are those who are the most servant-like. Uh, they are the givers, not the consumers. And so bad leaders will be in it for their own well-being. It tickles your ego. It helps you feel significant. You get better pay, something like that. Whereas good leaders are in it for others. Uh, Your view is that you may be able to help someone more through this role. And that attitude absolutely makes a difference. You know, the truth is that while authority is a legitimate aspect of leadership, yet the best leaders influence others for good far more through service than through authority. And so just this aspect of servant-like character is so important for leadership. 
And what I want to say to you is that if you're a, if you're a youth leader here, um, if you're a kids leader, if you take on a leading role among our third ages, if you um, lead in young adults or in a growth group or in any of our teams, if you lead, bring to that the heart of a servant. Uh, because that's what will help you most of all. That's what will help you in facing disappointments. It's what will help you in facing challenges. It's what will help you as you seek to make decisions, uh, to remember that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. That's to be our character as we lead. The call of Jesus is a call to serve. Well, we come finally now to the compassion of Jesus. And we have that there in verses 29 through to 34. There we have two blind men sitting by the roadside. And the word about Jesus has gotten around. They've heard all about him. No doubt they've heard of his miracles and teaching and character. And it's all very striking to them. And they're convinced that he's the son of David. In other words, that he's the Messiah, the the king that God had promised to send to save his people. And so word had come to them that Jesus is in town. And so these two blind men, they just cry out at the top of their lungs, "Um, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. See, they're convinced that Jesus is God's promised king and that he has power even to heal. And so they go, this guy can help us. This is our chance to get relief from our miserable condition. And so Look, I just don't really care what the crowds think. Social norms just aren't my biggest worry right now. I need help. And Jesus can give it to me. And so they cry out at the top of their lungs. And Jesus stops. He calls to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they answer, Lord, we want our sight. And we're told Jesus touches their eyes and immediately they have their sight and follow him. Now that's what happens and it's worth asking the question, actually why does Jesus, why does he give them their request? I mean Jesus didn't grant the request of the mother of James and John earlier, did he? But he does grant this request. Why? And I think the answer to that connects with some things that we were talking about last week, if you were with us then. Okay, James and John and their mum, they come as those who have a sense of entitlement. Whereas the two blind men, they come as those who are needy. Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. We need your help. And it's that readiness to acknowledge their need that draws the attention of Jesus. Okay, do you notice in verse 34, what we are told there, we read, and Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed. He had compassion on them. That was his heart. And so friends, as we finish our time together this morning, let me say two things to close. Firstly, as you come to Jesus today and every day, come as one knowing that you desperately 
need his help. Okay, don't come like James and John's mother. Come like the blind men. We're not customers seeking a service from him. We're more like blind men coming for healing. We just desperately need his help. That's the way to come to him. And if you want to be forgiven of your sins, that's the way you need to come to him. You need to go to Jesus saying, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. I I can't do anything to fix this of myself. But you came to give your life as a ransom for many. So would you show me mercy because of what you've done? That's how you come to Jesus seeking forgiveness. And he will hear you come as one desperately in need of his help. And then the second thing I want to say here is that as you come... Uh, to Jesus, um, and and as we serve others, um, let's serve others chiefly from a heart that is moved by compassion. Okay, um, one reason to serve others is because it's the right thing to do, um, and that's a good reason to serve others, because it is the right thing to do. Another reason to serve others is because we've seen the example of Jesus, and that's a good reason to serve others. But ultimately, we want the example of Jesus to be accompanied by the power of Jesus so that these things are actually shaping our hearts, so that we're moved by the same things that Jesus is moved by, so that our service of others is not just something that we do because it's the right thing to do, but that actually it comes from a heart that has been moved by the same compassion that he has. And so let's ask God to help us serve others from the right heart. You know, when we serve in our family, we don't only want to do that because it's the right thing to do. We want to do that because we love them. As we serve in church, yes, that's a good thing to do and a right thing to do, but ultimately we want to do that out of love and compassion for people. We know the good news of Jesus and we want others to know that and to grow in that. As we invite people to come to church with a hope explored and what a good thing to do, as we invite them to come and to hear of Jesus, uh, we want to be doing that not only because it's good, but actually because we have compassion for others. And so we give thanks for our Lord Jesus who came into our world, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And we seek likewise to serve others. And we serve others because we've been served in Jesus. And we serve others too because in Jesus our hearts have been moved. Our hearts have been moved toward compassion. And we've seen it in him. And we've experienced it in our, in our own lives. And now it overflows in us, toward others. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for our Lord Jesus. Uh, He was condemned, he was mocked, he was flogged and crucified, all for us, all for our sin. And so we come to you as those desperately needing his help and we ask for forgiveness because of what he did for us. And we ask that you would help us to give ourselves in service of others, uh, moved by the compassion that we know through him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.